whoever picked out the songs for today must have known what my scripture was. Um, thank you. And I have to kind of laugh a little bit because it talks about my wife and I. You see, when we were little, we didn't know each other, but we were raised, both of us raised in families where mother spent Friday night and sometimes Sabbath afternoon reading us mission stories. So we grew up with the idea that we wanted to be missionaries. We were raised both in Southern California, and so, you know, we picked up a little bit of Spanish and thought, well, you know, the Lord may use that and send us to Central or South America. Ha! By the way, as you sang that song this morning, I'll go where you want me to go. Did you mean it? Or do you have reservations about where he wants to send you? Anyway, we applied for mission service once, twice, three times, and never heard a word from the general conference. But one January one, with a big party going in our basement, we get a phone call. We were working at the Ohio Conference at the time, and since we had a nice big house, we had invited everybody to come from the office and have a New Year's party. We answered the phone, and there was a gentleman. He said, how would you like to go to Sudan? Hey, how many of you know where Sudan is? Uh, we've got a few. Good. Well, we knew approximately, but we didn't know where. We motioned for our son to get the atlas, and we opened it up. Oh, okay. Well, by that time, we had already said, yeah, we're interested. And yes, the Lord sent us to Adra, with Adra to Sudan for five years. We thoroughly enjoyed working with the Sudanese people. Their government stinks to high heaven. But the people have hearts of gold. We thoroughly enjoyed working there. And by the way, those of you that support ADRA, you're using your money very effectively. ADRA is one of the few agencies that keep the overhead at a bare minimum. There are some of the agencies that use 40 and 50% of their donations for overhead. ADRA keeps it down to 10 maybe sometimes 11%. It's necessary for overhead. You need people to come and help uh, when you don't know what to do or uh, to give support. So there's, there's a purpose for the overhead. 
but you want to keep it as small as possible. From there, the Lord sent us down to the Ivory Coast. And uh, it was a, a rather unusual six-month assignment uh, where the director of Adra, Liberia, was doing a sabbatical. Now, the interesting thing is we lived in Ivory Coast in Abidjan, and I commuted into Liberia. This was just after their civil war. And the commute, well, the general conference didn't feel that it was safe for my wife and I to live in Liberia. By the way, anybody know where Liberia is? Yeah. Great history there. Anyway, from the border of Ivory Coast down to the capital, 34 checkpoints. Little 10-year-old boys with machine guns. you have any idea what they were looking for? Money. And I happened to have a suitcase there with the equivalent of 20,000 U.S. dollars sitting right beside me. They never once searched us or checked on us. But whenever my wife would be with us, we happened to have a gift that had been given by the BIC Corporation of a lot of ink pens. And so she'd hand over a bunch of these to the boys and she'd say, write to your mama. Well, many of those little boys no longer had a mama because mama had been killed in the Civil War. But they accepted it gracefully and we were always protected there. From there, the Lord uh, gave us a little experience of what heaven might be. At least that's what my wife felt. Uh, we called a friend of ours who had an opening in Sitka, Alaska. Now, any of you have been to Alaska? No? Oh, okay. You know, it can be beautiful. It can be also rather rugged and rough and very cold. But Sitka is on an island and the temperature is rather moderated because of the ocean all around. But we had been there only about three weeks Adra calls up. We need you in Haiti. Right now! Now, why they didn't know about it three weeks earlier, I don't know. But we enjoyed our time in, in Sitka and got to meet family members that wouldn't have been able to meet otherwise. Met a, a classmate who was living there. And so we, we felt God had kind of directed us there, and then he sent us down to Haiti for two and a half years. And uh, actually, the current prime minister was at that time working with ADRA, and he was my boss. And so we feel 
kind of privilege to know somebody in high government these days. Uh, and then Adra didn't have anything for us, so we were blessed with a call to Canada for nine years. We lived up in the north uh, east part of Canada. By the way, many people think the west coast is beautiful. The east coast is just as beautiful. And we thoroughly enjoyed our nine years. We have good friends there that we keep in touch with even today. And then I had a, a shock. They fired me. You know, you don't make people happy. People of influence uh, get even. And they fired me. Well, it just so happened that my wife was scheduled to be working at the junior camp as an assistant cook. And when that happened, she did what is proper and notified her boss that she would not be able to keep her commitment. Her boss called her father. You'll never guess what they just did to the Mitchells. Which led to a phone call the very next day. How would you like to come to Korea? And of course, we were more than willing. You see, I'd heard about Korea all my growing up years because I have an uncle who had been there as a missionary helping to rebuild after the Korean War. He, he built the current hospitals in the country and for the Adventist church. And uh, so it was a real pleasure that we spent the last seven years of our ministry working at the uh, North, Northern Asia Pacific Division, the headquarters for Mongolia, China, North and South Korea, Japan, and at that time, Taiwan, as well as Hong Kong, and Macau. That was a real privilege to see so many places where the mission work had been done. Anyway, that's the, the little history uh, of where the Mitchells have been and what they've done. Currently, we live down in Alvarado. And when we uh, were looking for a place to live there, we... we we decided that we had to live near family because we had both helped take care of parents as they were getting older. And so we chose Texas. It, honestly, it was not the first choice, but it is the first choice because that's where our daughter is. And uh, we could afford to. Our son lives in Vermont. We can't afford to live there because it's a tourist state all year long. He would have been delighted to have us come and stay with him, but mm, can't afford it. So when we looked for a house, I told my wife, I said, listen, just two things. We're not going to buy a house in Keene. They don't need us there. 
Number two, we're not going to put our membership in the Keene Church. They don't need us there. So we spent six months looking for a, a church home and a home. The Lord had a very special place waiting for us. And yet, you know, the Lord has a, a sense of humor. Because about two years after we bought our home and settled down, and we'd taken a few preaching appointments like this, that the conference had asked us to go out. Elder Craig, the conference president at that time, called up and says, Pastor Mitchell, I need a favor. I need you to be an associate pastor at Keene for a while. <laughs> yes. My wife rubs it in every now and then. Rightfully so. The Lord has a good sense of humor. And by the way, a couple of quarters ago, if you've read your Sabbath school quarterly and read the mission story after there's a story about Glenn Mitchell in there where God really has a sense of humor. Anyway, who me? Well, our scripture reading starts off with Isaiah saying, I'll go. But what we didn't read, if you have your Bibles, by the way, I hope you have your Bible with you. Whether it's this or this. Either way, I hope you have it. Because you might like to maybe take a note, do an underline or something. But look at our scripture reading, Isaiah 6. And we read verses 6 through 8. But verse 9, the Lord says to Isaiah, Yes, go. Say to this people, Listen carefully, but don't understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Plug their ears and shut their eyes. He was willing to go, but he was going to a hard-hearted people. Well, I love the stories of the Bible. I thoroughly love the story. So the story for today is found in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. We're going to start out there again with the Lord sending a message. Jonah 1, 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amnity. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Okay? What picture do you have in your mind? You have pictures because, you know, when we say a sentence or something, we, we develop pictures. What kind of a picture do you have of the Lord sending Jonah to Nineveh. Do you know where Nineveh is? Nineveh still exists. Do you know it? 
It's in Iraq. It's in the city. It's in the middle of the city of Mosul. There's 2.9 acres there. Or a square meet, a square um, Yes, square miles <laughs> that are the ruins of Nineveh. Are, are, and so, but what picture do you have of the people of Nineveh? We need pictures. Come on. What kind of a picture do you have? Pardon? I said wealthy. Wealthy, yes. Probably extremely wealthy. Thank you. Yes. They were known throughout the world for their cruelty. They were proud of it. Reading on, announce my judgment against it because. I have seen the wicked, how wicked its people are. The very next word in my Bible is but. And I'm going to stop right there because that but is important. Because you see, what it says next, there's a big gap in time. And I invite you to... Turn over to chapter 2 or chapter 4, and we want to look at verse 2. And uh, so Jonah complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You see, good old Nineveh, or Jonah had a little argument with God. Have you ever argued with God? I hope you have. I, I really do. Because you learn a lot when you argue with God. Now, of course, you'll never win. But <laughs> that's beside the point. You know, before he took off for Tarshish, he argued with God. He tried to find out a reason. Now, why, why did he say, I knew you were this way? Well, Jeremiah tells us Jeremiah chapter 18 let's let's quickly turn there Jeremiah chapter 18 and we're going to look at Well, we'll start at verse 1. And the Lord gave me another message to Jeremiah. And he said, go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as I was told. That's a good thing. 
and I found the potter working at his wheel. But the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and started over. Then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I, I do to you as this potter has done to his clay? As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn up, and destroyed, but then that nation announces it, renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judah and Jerusalem. And Jonah knew exactly what God had said to Jeremiah. And so he said, listen, I don't want to go there. Yes, those people are savage. I hate them. But you, you, you have a habit. You have a habit of not doing what you say you're going to do. I don't want to go there. By the way, you know, we prayed this morning for our people in Ukraine, and rightly so. Uh, in our church, we have a re Ukrainian family, and uh, the sister of the husband has made it out of Kiev, but has no money, has only the clothes on the back, and, and you know, needs food and shelter and all that. But I want to remind you that also our Russian people are suffering. Our Seventh-day Adventist Russian people are suffering. And since the Russian army uses conscripts, draftees, we may have some Seventh-day Adventist boys in that army who have difficult decisions to make. We need to remember them as well in prayer. Anyway, Jonah was exasperated that God was asking him to go to Nineveh. Number one, he didn't want to go there because they were savage people. He was probably just a little afraid for his own life. Number two, he hated them with a passion because they had not been kind to Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Number three, they were foreigners. So he argued with God. Now, Verse 2 of Jonah, chapter 1 says, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, having looked at the situation a little bit, 
Jonah had two choices as to how to go. He could go down to Joppa, get a boat, take it up to Turkey, and then head across country to Nineveh. Doing it that way would have probably saved him two or three, maybe four days of walking. Or he could have just set out from Jerusalem and headed north up through Baghdad into Nineveh. By the way, any idea how, how long it would take him? Do you have any idea how far it is? Anybody here walked from Mount Pleasant to El Paso? No. But if you had, you still have to go another day or two, maybe three days beyond El Paso to be the equivalent. You know, going from Shreveport to El Paso is just about the same distance as Jerusalem to Nineveh. But if he went down and took a boat up to Turkey, he'd save himself a little time. And I have a feeling he finally said, Lord, okay, 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 I'll go. And he went down there and he saw a ship to Tarshish. The light bulb went on. Any idea where Tarshish is? Yes, the opposite direction, but that doesn't tell me a lot. And it doesn't tell anybody else a lot either. Nobody knows exactly where Tarshish is. But Bible scholars feel that it may be on the west coast of Spain. He saw the ship. Ha <laughs> ha! And he bought the passage. Once again, the details are not in the scripture. And you know, so many of these stories, I would like to know more details. And I have to let my imagination run a little bit. Jonah got on that boat. Stowed his bags away and relaxed and everything was going smoothly as they set sail. You know, you get tired. You want to take a nap. So he went and found a cozy place, the rocking of the boat. He went to sleep. But the Bible says the Lord hurled a powerful wind. And you know the story. You've, you've read it so many times. But my folk, we oftentimes read the Bible and just read it without stopping to look at the, the time in between two sentences. We... we fail to see the little details that may be there when we put this part with this part 
and bring it together? Anyway, I, I think maybe he was, he was even worn out because how far is it from Jerusalem to Joppa? Any idea? A couple days walk. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're walking in a hurry, it might be a day and a half. And he probably got a little tired. So, Anyway, you, you get the picture. Storm came. The sailors did their best. They woke him up. I like the questions that they ask. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? All important things. And Jonah, of course, answers. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And what he didn't say, the sailors understood the wind. And, you know, it says that he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Now, any person with any ability to think, whether it's the God of heaven or the idol gods that they, these sailors worshipped, would understand that it's futile to run from God. It was idiotic. It was stupid. It didn't make a drop of sense. And you notice what they ask. What must we do to you to stop this? Here's a little theme that comes through the book of Jonah. Throw me overside. And the storm will quit. And he's thinking to himself, I will run away. I don't have to go to Nineveh if I'm dead. I got the perfect solution. What? Jonah failed to recognize is the God of heaven who was the creator of heaven and earth could also create a fish. I don't understand it. Don't ask me to to understand it. But that fish was special made and he swallowed up Jonah and... Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Just like anybody in trouble, Jonah, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. You know, there's a saying that there are no 
atheists in foxholes. Jonah kind of backs that statement up. I cried to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me. Of course, he has to say this because the history shows that God did save him, sent him on the mission again. And then down in verse 9, But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows. You know, oftentimes when a person's in deep trouble, they tell the Lord they're going to do such and such. Jonah's no, no different. Evidently, he told the Lord, I'll do whatever you, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. Evidently. Because the Lord spoke a second time, get up and go to that great city, Nineveh, and deliver the message. By the way, I don't see our young man in here who had our special music. Ah, he's hiding back there in the sound booth. Good. Anyway, I have a message for all of you. There's only one song you need to have in your life. And that's the song that Adam sang. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jonah knew that. The best song in all of history. Jesus loves me. And this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so great it took three days to see it all. You know the rest of the story. A prophet, Jonah, a prophet of God, who is more concerned with his own reputation as a prophet than he was for the lives of 150,000 people. Now the Bible says that there were 120,000 that didn't know the left hand from the right hand, the ignorant people, ignorant of their spiritual life. But the whole city, the whole city, that included the educational, that included the king's counselors, it included the king himself, heard the message and decided that they would do something. I like the king's message to his people. In chapter 3, we find that the verse 7, the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds or flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. 
They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce fierce anger from destroying us. And when God had seen what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Not surprising. Jeremiah had already had the vision and had written down the message. And it was just as Jonah had predicted. I knew you were merciful. I knew that you were a compassionate God. That you were slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. So many times we get the idea that it, that the Old Testament God was a God of anger. The New Testament God was a God of love and compassion. Look at here. Right here in the midst of this, Jonah's saying, I knew! That's why I didn't want to go. I knew you were going to change your mind. My friends, today, we have choices to make. We can go where God sends us. Or we can try to run away. We may be looking out for our own reputation. We may be don't like what God has asked us to do. We may be don't like the people God has asked us to go to. But we have choices. That's the beauty of God. He always leaves you with choices. Always. And we need to remember when we make decisions that God has given us that choice and that we want to make sure that our choice is on God's side. Loving Father, help us today and every day to choose to go where you send us. Yes, if we argue, listen to our argument, but still send us. In Jesus' name, amen.